and I sure have enjoyed the music and appreciate so much the time put into it uh, as it prepares our hearts for God's Word. We're going to go ahead and dismiss the children at this time, four years old to fourth grade, if you'll head on out. And I hope every, every service as you see the children headed out that you will pause in your thinking and pray for them. They are, we, we have been on a three-year journey through the Bible with them, and they are at the same place we are in the Gospel of John in studying Jesus Christ and his miracles and his work. And so pray that God would use his word to save our children and bring them to himself. It's a wonderful opportunity for them, and I appreciate so much those who are involved in speaking the truth of the gospel to our children while we are in here. Well, if you uh, have been with us for a period of time, we've been going through the gospel of John, and we are taking a break here between John 10 and John 11, uh, in preparation for November. So November's coming quick, and a lot of things are happening in November. Uh, namely, the Exchange Conference. <laughs> now, if you thought I was going to say the election, I got you. No. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting blend of events that will be happening here in November. We'll be uh, finishing up the elections. I don't think we'll know the results of the elections right away. That's just my opinion, of course. But why we might be waiting for the results of the election, we'll be having an exchange conference, which is all about the souls of men. And so I hope that you'll make those connections as we go through the weeks uh, coming and as we try to prepare our hearts and minds for what God is doing, not just in our country, but in our community, in our church, in our own hearts and lives. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 2 Corinthians. Two weeks ago, we started out in this uh, topical series on politics and the gospel, looking at Romans chapter 116, where the Bible tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not men, not politics, not uh, agendas, not judges. These do not have the, the power to change a man's heart. They don't have the power to change culture. They're a reflection of where our culture has already gone. If we are going to put our hope in anything, we must put our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, and by the way, he has called us as his mouthpiece to proclaim that hope to a lost and dying world. The songs this morning have been all about our commitment to, to take on this task of giving the gospel. Of course, some of the songs we started with spoke of it as a war. And I don't think I need to convince any of you that we are in a war in our country. We're in our war in our own families and in our hearts. In fact... Just an illustration of this. So I come from a large family, and uh, they all, every, it's, it's amazing, all of us have opinions. And they don't always get along together, right? And uh, anyway, so my mother was, uh, my mother is, well, we, she is very opinionated, and I love my mother very much. Well, she likes the community to know exactly where she stands, and so she has chosen to put a, uh, a campaign sign in her front yard. And uh, that's my mom. She's the same lady. When I was a kid, we would go through a checkout line at the grocery store, and she'd look at that poor, poor girl behind the checkout counter and say, can you please get rid of these magazines? I have sons here. And the, the girl is just checking out. It's like, I'm, not, I'm just the messenger. I'm just taking your money. You know? She didn't have any problem letting people know these things. And so anyway, she's chosen to put a political sign in her yard. Well, it continues to get torn down. And so she posts something online in a family chat group and says, I can't believe people just keep taking down my sign. And so my sister <clears throat> put, 
puts up a picture of a sign with mice mouse traps glued to the back so that when you go to pick up the sign <laughs> underneath that a family member chimes in and says i don't think this is the way god would do it and then we all chime in and give our opinions on what the right course of action is and it was interesting i was reading this week uh, in a blog post and it made it made an important point it says this Politics can make enemies of the mission field. Politics can make enemies of the mission field. This morning I want to spend some time on politics and the gospel. And really as believers, where we need to stand and what our priorities need to be. Here in First Corinthians, or excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 10, this is not Paul speaking to necessarily politics of the day. He's speaking to the human condition, and that is where I want us to spend our time thinking this morning. And so we'll be using this passage as a starting point. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, we'll read verses 1 through 6. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, I'll get it. 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with the confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through, the, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when, our, when your obedience is fulfilled. Now we'll leave off our reading at that point. And I'm going to give you a little bit of the context so you understand what Paul is, is writing toward. Paul had spent about two years uh, planting the church in Corinth. And having left Corinth, immediately false teachings had crept into the church and divisions had crept into the church, uh, serious errors and, and, and factions. And so Paul writes two, many letters to the Corinthian church, and we have two of them in Scripture. Two of them were God-ordained Scripture. And so the first one, Paul is rebuking them. And if you read 1 Corinthians, we get a lot of doctrine for how the church is to act and how the church is to function. And he rebukes them for their sin. And so there's a response, there's a turning in Corinth to that. And yet at the same time, there's a doubling down of, of false teachers to uh, tear apart the, the work that God is doing in Corinth. And they, they use this time to go after Paul. And they're accusing Paul that when he's, in, when he's in before them, he's meek and, and kind and, and, and shy and not bold, but when Paul's away, then he, you know, then you know, then he says what he really thinks. You know, kind of like people are online, right? To your face, they don't say anything, but online, oh man, they, they let you know exactly what they think, right? So they're they're accusing Paul of of this false boldness, and Paul is using play on words here as you go through those six uh, first six verses, letting them know that he is speaking forth the word of God. And he hopes that they will believe and follow the word of God so that when he is in their presence, he does not have to be confrontational 
uh, as he had been in the past. And he says, I, in those verses, he says, I'm not afraid to be confrontational to those who are disobedient. Right? And even in that last verse, having all readiness to revenge all disobedience, Paul wasn't coming with an army to do something. He was coming with the truth to confront those who were uh, leaving the truth. But he was hoping and he was giving time for them to take in the word of God and to change their ways. So Paul is going to confront this attack and he uses warfare as the imagery here in a soldier, the idea of a soldier as he confronts uh, this situation. So this morning I want us to consider what God's word says to us as we face warfare of false teaching all around us. So the first thing I'd like us to see is that as soldiers of Christ, we must recognize that we're in a war. We must recognize that we're in a war. Now, you, you understand this. I don't think I need to convince you that we're in a war. Some of us might think we're on the brink of a civil war uh, here in America. And as we look around, we see more conflict and turmoil uh, than ever before. Even though we're not engaged in, in a world war, as in the past century, we see more inner turmoil within our nation, more factions in our nation, and even in the church. In the American church, there are great factions. And so we identify these things. We, we, we use nice terms. We say right versus left. We say convert, conservative versus liberal, free versus control, big government versus personal freedom, capitalism versus communism. And these are all political terms that, that we use to kind of describe the warfare. But I want to go beyond that and recognize we're in a much, much deeper and more eternal war. Those are ideological ideas and warfares that are raging hotter and hotter, and, and really they're just illusions of a much deeper, deeper warfare. This warfare that we're speaking about, that Paul is speaking about, that we're singing about, it is spiritual. It is not physical. And I'd say it's not only, it's not even ideological, although there are many ideas that come up that show that the depth of the warfare is spiritual. And as Christians, we, we must be able to see past the news. We need to be able to see past the debates. We must be able to see past the lies, the negative campaigning. We must be able to see past that and see that we are in a much, much deeper struggle than what politics shows us. The war is not about right versus left, country against country. The war that we are involved in is for the eternal souls of man. The warfare is spiritual. Our enemy is spiritual. We read this morning from Ephesians chapter 6, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll reference it again, or you can look in your bulletin. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the politicians of the day. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Wait, I didn't say that. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The word wrestle here does not mean that horrible part of gym class that I had to go through as an 11th grader. This is talking about hand-to-hand -hand combat for life. We are in a struggle and we are not wrestling against people. We are wrestling against an enemy that is greater in power than we are as humans. And here in Ephesians chapter 6, God tells us 
that our enemy can't be seen. It's principalities, it's powers, it's rulers of the darkness of this world. It's Satan and his force. Spiritual wickedness in high places. These are not descriptions of people. In fact, our text this morning from 2 Corinthians reiterates this truth. Listen to what it says from 2 Corinthians. He says, listen, for, for though we walk in the flesh, he's talking about not the sinful nature of man, he's talking about the physical presence of our bodies. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not guns and swords and pens and news articles and debates. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. And and listen to the contrast he's bringing out between carnal, fleshly, visible, and weak versus spiritual and mighty. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. These descriptions are not people. They're not politicians. It's not a swamp. It's not Washington. I'm not saying Washington isn't a swamp. right? This is not what the verses are talking about. These are the tools that when it says imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, these are the tools that Satan uses to imprison men and keep them from the glorious light of the gospel. This is so important for us to remember. During the election campaigns, it is easy for me to forget that people are not the enemy. And Listen, as I preach and speak to you, I speak to you from my my opinions. I recognize that not everybody is like me. And maybe when when I say the word politics to you, it might represent something very different than it does to me. I love to debate. I love to see people arguing. I love... Uh, not, not, I don't like to just see people arguing. I like to see logic being used and reasoning and these things. And I love to see it when the person that argues what I think is right is the better arguer. And I hate it when I see Christians who, who can't argue the things of Scripture effectively uh, as they go out and try to take on the wiles of the devil. Some people hate that. They resist confrontational conversation. Right? And so... It is easy for me, as I enter into this struggle of, of the campaigns and, and my love for country, my love as an American uh, citizen for what I have been blessed with, it is easy for me to transfer hatred for that which is spiritual to that which is physical. It is easy for me to hate a person. And though I may hate policies and platforms, I may even believe that their policies and platforms are straight from the pit of hell. It does not excuse hatred for a person and hatred for an enemy. I can, I can start out by hating anti-biblical politics, and I hope you do. And I hope you understand the devastation of political ideas that go directly in the face of God's word. I can start out that way, but it is very easy for me to start passing that from an idea to a person. We've got to recognize our enemy. Our enemy is the father of lies who enslaves the souls of men in blindness and in error. Our enemy is a roaring lion who wants to devour men's souls by enslaving them in sin and ultimately eternal death. 
Our enemy is the great deceiver who works overtime to hide the truth from men. This is who we need to hate. This is who we need to combat. And so we recognize that this warfare is spiritual and that our enemy is spiritual. We need to recognize, too, that our weapons are spiritual, right? Our weapons are spiritual. Because our enemy is spiritual, we cannot engage him with man's devices or even man's wisdom or man's clever schemes. Uh, do you ever sit there and watch the commercials and it goes a negative ad campaign for one guy and a negative ad campaign against that guy, right? I mean, like, within one minute, you've been told the exact two opposite. I mean, they can't both be true. Or I guess they both can be false, right? And, and, and you sit there and, and there's a... Uh, right? There's frustration. And I always like it when the guy that I like more, his ad runs second. Right? He gets the last word and ha ha! You know? And as I'm waiting for the next commercial about cars to go by, I look at my phone and there are more commercials on my phone. Right? And, and man's wisdom and man's clever schemes cannot be successful in this spiritual warfare. However, God has given us what we need to win the battle. Look at 2 Corinthians 10.4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. God has told us, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the word, the world. His word becomes well, if you, if you study the armor of God, every piece of the armor of God ties back into his word. God's word is what has been given to us to identify the lies, to identify the schemes of the devil, and then to have power over them. We have an amazing weapon against the schemes of the devil, namely the word of God and the spirit of God in us. And through those things, we are more than conquerors against this great and powerful enemy, the devil. The weapon can cut through all the lies, all the facade, all the clever words, all the politics, all the differences. And this weapon is double-edged, right? We sang in one of the songs, uh, the sword that makes the wounded whole. Think about that. That's an that's a amazing play on words, right? Because when we think of swords, we, don't think, we think of wounding. We don't think of healing. And yet this sword is a double-edged sword. What I mean by that is it doesn't just tear down the strongholds of the devil and exposes the light of, the, of God's glorious truth to those who are enslaved, but it also cleanses and protects and heals me from that deception. Look at, look at Hebrews chapter 4, a wonderful passage about the word of God. Right? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, The word of God is quick. What does that word quick mean in Scripture? Living. I tell you what, the Bible is incomparable to any other book in Scripture because of this point that the word of God is living. What do I mean by that? I mean exactly that. It is alive and powerful. And as you take it in, it, it, it works in you because it's alive. You say, I don't think the word of God is alive. Yes, it is. Try putting it inside you and see what happens. The word of God is quick 
or alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen to what it does. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Oh, this, this weapon that the Lord has given to us to be successful in this great and spiritual battle is so powerful. It takes these, these ideas, right? It takes the strongholds, the imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It cuts right to it. It lays it bare and it shows us the truth. But then it turns on us and it exposes the lies that we have believed. It exposes the thoughts that we have exalted above God and it lays us wide open for the healing of the Holy Spirit. Oh, the word of God is our weapon. Look at Hebrews 4.13. It says this, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest. That word manifest means to lay naked. There is nothing, there's nothing that is not open to the word of God. It cuts right through any ad campaign, right? It cuts through any reasoning, any political movement, any policy. The word of God cuts right through it and exposes it for what it is. And as God looks on mankind, there is nothing hidden. And then he's given to us his word so that when we look on things, they are not hidden to us as well. Have you ever gone to vote and not known what was on the ballot and tried to read it in the ballot box, right? Like, I'm not talking about the candidates, but like policy. So, so you sit there and you're reading a, something that says, do you want us to pave roads? But it doesn't say that, right? <laughs> it's like a paragraph and you're like, oh, I don't know if I, if I vote no, is, is society going to crumble, you know? Wait, wait, it's just roads or something, you know what? what I tell you what, I, I, would, I would pray that as you go to vote, if you vote, and I would encourage you to vote, we'll get to that in a minute, I pray that as you go and vote beforehand, you go and open up your ballot and your Bible and ask God to clearly show you through the word of God what policies mean what and what your position as a believer in Jesus Christ should be on those policies. Some of them may be like roads, which usually include taxes which means money, and you have a position on that, and your position on that needs to come from Scripture. And I will not tell you what your position is because I actually don't know what's on the ballot yet. Okay? But you should be able to make your choices. God has given us his word to lay things open that in the eyes and in the sight of God, in the presence of God, we can clearly make choices of right and wrong and tear down those things that the devil would use to deceive us. The gospel, the gospel, nothing can stand against the power of the gospel. It is the power of God into salvation. We won't take a lot of time on this because that was what the first message was about this. The power of the gospel is a powerful weapon against, it is, well, it just tears apart any lie of the devil and it frees men from those lies. Listen to these verses from 2 Corinthians. You can turn over if you're there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We used these in the last uh, time we were together. 2 Corinthians 4.3. If our gospel is hid, is to hit, it is hid to them that are lost. I love that verse. You know what that verse means? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, 
You don't have to struggle to understand the gospel. It's not hidden from you. Just read it. Consider what Jesus Christ has done for you and you understand the gospel. If the gospel is hid, it's not hid from us. It's hid from those that are lost. Why? In whom the God of this world hath blinded their minds. He blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, and has shined in our hearts and given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. And in a dark time in America, where is the answer? It is in the gospel. The weapons that we have as believers are not of our own devices. They're not of our own abilities, our own reasoning. They are the word of God which lays everything open before him and it gives to us Christ, the life of man. Christ. We need to recognize that we're in a warfare. Secondly, we need to recognize our enemy's tactics. We need to recognize our enemy's tactics and we could spend a lot of different sermons on this point, so I'm just going to scratch the surface here. But as we recognize that this is spiritual warfare that we are involved in, we must recognize that our enemy is subtle and deceitful and uses tactics that are called schemes. And he has been around for a long time, and he knows man better than man knows himself. The devil's schemes are carried out through this world system which he rules. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is praying that people would come to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, God has given to us the church. And in the church, you have people who are gifted to, to preach and proclaim not just the word of God, but specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ through evangelism. And it says that he can bring together these people that we, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. These people are working the works of Satan and their desire is to throw men back and forth through deceit and, and, and it says cunning craftiness. When I think of cunning craftiness, I think of somebody who's going out to hunt and when they go out to hunt, they don't go out, you know, like a person. They try to be more like an animal, right? And they cover themselves in dirt and camouflage. And I, you'll, you'll recognize very quickly I'm not a hunter. Uh, grease paint on their face. They pour like animal scent. We'll just leave it at that. On themselves, right? For the purpose of deceiving these animals so that they can kill them and eat them. So I'm okay with it. I appreciate those of you who give me food that you've taken. In fact, one of our kids here got his first deer this weekend. But I tell you what, we don't go out there in Bermuda shorts and suntan lotion, blaring music from the beach, thinking that animals are going to come down and lay down on our plate. It's not how it works. The devil uses slight and cunning craftiness, and he lies in wait to deceive. I'll tell you this right now. If you don't know your Bible and you don't read your Bible, 
you are easy pickings for this kind of deception. Because the devil uses the Bible to deceive believers. What? What? You think he's been around for a while? He seeks to destroy believers and unbelievers alike. We just read in 2 Corinthians 4 how he hides the light of the gospel from those that are lost. He blinds their minds so that they, they can't see and understand. The devil use anything he can to destroy men. The devil using, will even use seemingly good things. You know that God teaches, and especially if you read Proverbs, how a diligent man will eat of the fruit of his hands, and he will, he will benefit from his hard work, and he will amass to himself riches. Right? And so the devil comes along and says, oh man, that's, that's fantastic. Right? And he teaches us that the blessings of riches are the blessings of God. And he teaches us that if we will count gain as godliness, we're godly if we have money. Right? He takes the word of God, he takes the things that God has created to be beautiful, and he twists them and he deceives them and uses it to hide the gospel. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and in many hurtful and foolish lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. That's the devil's plan! To drown men! And to destroy them. If you don't read your Bible, you are going to become easy pickings for his deception. Believers, though believers can't ultimately be destroyed by Satan, he can render them ineffective for the cause of Christ. If the devil can divide our hearts and distract us with temporal things, he renders us ineffective for an eternal battle. Or a battle for eternal souls. And so I just want to take a moment here and point out in my life how this plays out in the realm of politics. I think the devil uses the following to keep believers ineffective in the battle for men's souls. And when I say men, I mean myself. First of all, he uses my rights and freedoms as an American. If the devil can get me to focus my energies and my heart on my American rights and my American freedoms, he renders me ineffective as a gospel soldier. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 19, we're going to have laid out for us a mindset that we as believers, whether we're in a time of Great blessing, which I, I, by the way, I love my freedoms and I love my rights, if I can use that word properly, as an American. At the same time, those things are temporal and are passing away. And the gospel that is preached from this pulpit must be able to be preached from the pulpit of a communist China church who don't enjoy the blessings and freedoms of an American who has rights. Okay? Listen to these verses from 2 Peter chapter 2, and verse 19. For this is thankworthy, meaning this is something that God approves of. If man, for conscience toward God, endure grief, suffer wrongfully, for what glory is it if you be buffeted for your faults? You shall take it patiently, meaning if you make dumb choices, don't complain about the consequences. Right? I, I, I understand what that verse means. 
probably better than most of you, right? There's no glory in being persecuted when I'm the one who, who, who did something stupid. Okay. But look what it says. But if you, but if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his footsteps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So he, he never had to endure persecution because of bad choices, right? He always made the right choice. And so he leaves us an example that when we will do right and live right, we will be treated wrongfully. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Paul constantly called himself a bondservant, an indentured slave. He chose to be a slave. In those days, if you chose, if you, you fulfilled your time of, of service for your master, but you wanted to stay with him, you would be a bondservant. They would take a all and they would push it through your ear and you would put in a ring there that would show that you were a slave by choice. Paul says, I am a slave by choice. And a slave by definition has no rights. See, the devil would use my passion for rights and freedom to keep me focused on things that will absolutely pass away. What about political correctness? Some of you, this won't affect. You don't struggle with this, I understand. But the way I am defining political correctness is a compromise of what I believe is right for the sake of getting along with other people. Christians are supposed to be meek and gentle, right? I mean, Paul just said he was. However, this does not mean that he compromised what he believed was right. Why do Christians feel like they have to give up biblical convictions about right and wrong and embrace a world's fallen system to win the loss? That makes no sense. If you're going to vote, vote for biblical principles. Vote for biblical values. And be bold in that and don't apologize for it. Of course, that requires two things of Christians, that they know God's word and how it applies in everyday living, and that they go out and vote. But, but people who feel like because their position is different than the person that they love and they want to be saved does not mean I compromise to that side to win them. I cannot win them to Christ if I take a place away from God's word. Christians who believe the only way to win the world by, is by not offending them and not standing boldly for the truth of God's word don't understand the gospel. The gospel starts with the wrath of God against sin. Don't ever be ashamed to call sin, sin. Listen, as, and I would just, this is a wonderful principle of scripture that you should keep in mind as you vote. Matthew chapter 5, turn there with me. Matthew chapter 5. Why doesn't God just take us to heaven when we get saved? Right? We could skip all this mess. He leaves us on earth for a purpose. 
Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor or its saltiness, wherewith shall it, the earth, be salted? The salt then is good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Listen, listen. If a believer cannot stand for what is right, that is not called love. To compromise what is right and godly and, and scriptural, to compromise that so that you can be friends with somebody across the aisle, that is not right. You are the salt of the earth, and if the, if the salt loses its saltiness, it is worthless. It goes on and says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God has called us to be different. God has called us to be biblical. God has called us to be salt, which is a preservative. The world is passing away. However, part of the duty of a Christian is to live in this world in such a way that slows that decaying process. You can't stop the decay of meat by packing it in meat, right? And the world is, you can't stop decay. You can slow it down, though. And so I would say as you go out and vote this November... Go out and vote in such a way that stops the decay of American society. Which means you need to know what the gospel is. Because you are not just salt, you are light. Salt stops the decay, light brings life. Light confronts the darkness. You can't have light and darkness peacefully existing together. Light should get along with light. The church should be a beacon of light, not a, a hodgepodge of compromise. In 1 John 1, it says it, that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. And if we have fellowship with one another, right? If we, if, if we, it says if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. We do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I tell you what, if, the, if you will know the gospel, if you will read God's word, you will find that other people who know the gospel and read God's word are going to be right there linked arm in arm with you in this fight. And they will rejoice when the light shines. And they're not going to bicker over splitting hairs. They're going to rejoice in the gospel. Don't let the world use biblical values to shame you for your biblical values. What do I mean by that? I am so tired of the abortion debate because here's how it works. I stand for life. I believe life begins at conception. I believe life is created in the image of God and therefore has dignity and value. You must hate women. I mean, you're a white man. Talking about something you'll never experience. I do love women. I don't want women to think I'm a misogynist. 
Those two issues are not connected. Don't let the world use biblical values of love to make you compromise on murder. Oh, but they want that this this happens all the time. And they love to scab off of the biblical mindset to make Christians feel guilty about following Christ. Don't let that happen. Even Christians will differ on certain political issues. However, when Christians start hating and being spiteful, the devil has accomplished his work regardless of what your position is. And so why we call this message politics and the gospel is because, hey, let's let politics pass away with the culture and let's put our efforts and our hearts and our minds into the gospel. Political and social activism falls short of the high calling of the gospel and the Great Commission. Political conservatism is not synonymous with the gospel of Jesus Christ because it deals only with temporal things. In this mindset, when the government becomes more and more the enemy or more and more the savior, the devil is winning. We must be salt. We must be light. And I don't want to downplay your civic duty to vote at all. I don't want to downplay your strong convictions for those issues for whom you will vote What I do want to do is convince you that all these things are passing away and ultimately not effective in accomplishing the purpose for which we are left on this earth. And that is to build the kingdom of God, which is eternal. The ultimate reason to vote is to be involved, and to be involved must be for the love of men's souls. Is that why you're voting? Is that why you're voting? Because you understand that souls are dying and going to hell because the devil is using things to to force men into strongholds that will keep them blinded to the truth and slaves to sin. The devil is having a heyday with American politics right now. He wants to silence the church, but only when it comes to the gospel. He wants the church to be loud about politics. And quiet about the gospel. He wants to divide the church over temporal issues. He wants us to lose sight of the hope. And the only true and powerful changing agent. Which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Christian do you want to be an effective soldier? Effective soldiers are motivated by love. Right? Even when I was a kid on sports teams and we would like talk nicely to the other team, the rest of the team would be like, you traitor. Those are the enemy. You must destroy them. No, effective soldiers in spiritual warfare are motivated by a love for God, a love for the men that God created and died for, and they're motivated by a love for God's word because they recognize that is the powerful weapon of change. Effective soldiers trust their weapons. Don't listen to what the politician has to say. Know what God says. Do you know what God says about big government? Do you know what God says about government programs? Do you know what God says about the right to life? Do you know what God says about paying taxes? 
Do you know what God says about Social Security? Some of you are like waiting for the answer. <laughs> Read your Bibles. Read what God honors. Read what God blesses. Read what God hates. Read and understand the nature of mankind and how it will not get better through government programs. It will only enslave itself and destroy itself. Understand why God gave government. He was the giver of government. What was its purpose? Vote for those who will uphold the purpose for which God created government. And if you're having a hard time deciding what that is, it's because you need to be in God's word. Effective soldiers trust their weapon. Their weapon is the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Effective soldiers identify the right objective. I would not promote t gluing mousetraps to the back of signs. I would like to see the video <laughs> what is our objective is our objective found in a person if our objective is found in a person we will we will hold to even their unbiblical practices and views and that's losing or we will hate them and that's losing Effective soldiers identify the right objective. The right objective is obedience to the word of God, the great commission, and the salvation of men's souls. Paul makes a startling statement in Romans chapter 9. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could, I could wish that myself were accursed for Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Let, let me tell you how passionate Paul was about the gospel and how much he didn't care about the politics. He said, I, he says this, if, if this can't happen, obviously, but if I could somehow even give up my eternal blessings with Christ Jesus just so the Jews would be saved... That is what I want. That is my objective, that my brethren come to know Christ as Savior, and I would give up everything. And I have suffered the loss of so many things. But I would give that up just for the salvation of... What will you give up for the salvation of Americans? What will you give up for the salvation of your family? If you are finding your politics are causing you to hate people, the devil is gaining the victory. If you're finding that your love is for people of the same political party, the devil is gaining a victory. If you're finding yourself increasingly frustrated with Christians, the devil is gaining the victory. If you're willing to vote, but you're not willing to tell others of Jesus Christ, the devil has deceived you with the temporal and is gaining the victory. Be salt, vote, be light, understand and share the gospel. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I would just beg of you this morning 
to not even let this message become an issue of politics. Obviously, as I speak, I have a political point of view, which can taint the gospel presentation. Please don't let it. Know the gospel. Trust the gospel. But I will tell you this, if you are passionate about who is the president in this country, that is nothing to be ashamed of unless you compare it to your love for the souls of men and find that the love for the souls of men is missing. That is something to be ashamed of. That's temporal. What will you do in the coming weeks? What will define your thinking? Will it be the souls of men? Our Heavenly Father, you know our hearts. Lord, you know how, how timid we become when it comes to giving the gospel. You know how many excuses we can bring up to not give the gospel. You know what our, we are passionate about. Lord, forgive us for when we get off course. Forgive us when we buy into what the devil would use to make us as believers ineffective. Oh God, give us a heart and a passion for people. Give us a passion for the word of God so much that we will know it and live it. Lord, we thank you this morning that your word is alive and powerful. That it can tear down the strongholds that Satan sets up to entrap men. Lord, give us voices that proclaim that tearing down truth. Lord, give us a, 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 an effective stance in our community that brings people to Christ. Lord, we pray for our country right now that you would, that you would somehow bless it with men and women who believe the Bible. Men and women who will legislate according to your eternal moral principles. God, we pray that you would heal our land by calling men and women individually to the gospel. Lord, we pray for Calvary Bible Church that we would not be fractured by that which is temporal, but that we would have a strong bond in that which is eternal. Lord, in our homes, that our homes would see us not speaking of politics around the dinner table as much as speaking of the gospel. Lord, you know our weakness and how easily we get off track on that which is eternal. And so call us through your Holy Spirit and your word back to the eternal. Lord, give us a love for those around us who are perishing eternally. This is a work that you must do through your word. And so we beg this morning that you would do that work in our hearts. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to end our time together by singing a song which would put the priority of our heart into seeking the souls of men. It's not a familiar song, but we'll sing it anyway. It's, Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I faithfully do my part to win that soul for thee. Let's think about what the Lord would have for us as we respond in song this morning. If you'll stand with me, we'll end by singing this song together.